Welcome to the Green Acres Podcast. At Green Acres, we strive to transform lives with the truth of Jesus. Today's message comes from Pastor Michael Gossett. We are ending our series, Deeper, uh, that we have been walking through for the past couple weeks, and Peter ends it where we just were singing. All right, in verse 18, uh, the last known written words of the apostle Peter, he makes this statement. He says, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. The end. When you think about this type of life, that wouldn't it be incredible if you could say that on the day of eternity, on the day of the return of Christ, or on the day that you meet Jesus face to face, where your faith becomes sight, wouldn't it be incredible if you could end on this note saying, everything I did was for the glory of God? What does it take to have that type of life? It would take what Peter describes as a deeper endurance. I mean, for you to be able to have this type of endurance, this type of life that where you end faithfully, it requires a great endurance. You know, every January in St. Croix, Minnesota, they, there are about 50 racers, runners, or whatever they do, because it's not just running, but it's also on bike and it's also on skis. But every year in January, about 50 of them get together and they have what is called the St. Croix 40 Winter Ultra. Okay, don't try to say it fast. It's impossible. I've been trying all morning. Okay, but it is the St. Croix 40 Winter Ultra. Now you can imagine that it means 40 miles, but uh, and, and, and maybe this isn't anything to write home about, but it's 40 miles in the winter in Minnesota at night, okay? I mean, it's, it's a death sentence pretty much, okay? If you were to just stand outside and just stand still in, in these temperatures and, and what they are going through, uh, then you can't survive. So part of their training is not only on skiing or running in snow and ice or biking on snow and ice, uh, but it's also to learn how to treat trench foot. They have to learn how to treat frostbite. They have to know what to do when hypothermia sets in. And so this is a part of the regiment. This is a part of the training. But here's what is interesting is that at mile 24, there's a twist in the plot. It's no longer just a race of physical endurance, but now it becomes a race of mental endurance. See, what happens at mile marker 24 is that you have to prove that you can continue on to the rest of this uh, of the 16 miles of the race. And so in order to prove that, you have to basically get out your um, bivy. Okay, does everybody know what a bivy is? Like your bivy sack? Okay, I'm just going to be honest. I had to look it up, okay? Apparently, I'm not the outdoorsman as I thought I was, okay? But this is a bivy sack right here, okay? And they're made for the snow. It's basically a one-man um, igloo, 
okay? And you get in with your sleeping bag and it keeps the cold away. Um, it does some weird things that you can actually survive in the winter in Minnesota at night on this 40 mile race. All right, so in, in order for you to continue the 16 miles, you have to get this out and then you have to get in your sleeping bag inside the bivy snack. You get all cuddled up nice and warm. And then about a minute later, they say, okay, it's time. Now you have to get out and you have to roll everything up. You have to pack everything back up and then continue on this 16 mile journey to finish the race. Now we would think, okay, that has to be the easiest part. I mean, all you're doing is setting up a bivy and then you just sit there or lie there for 30 seconds to a minute and then you just keep going. The problem is you and I know exactly what you would do. Okay. I know what I would do. I'll get all nice and comfortable, you know, snug as a bug in a rug. Anybody? And there is no way I want to get back out in that cold. There's no way I want to continue on for 16 miles. You see, the, the greatest threat to their endurance for this race is not their training. It's not the lack of training. It's not the lack of nutrition. It's not the lack of water. The greatest threat is comfort. You and I face the same thing in our walk with Jesus. Like if you want to have an endurance that lasts until the return of Christ or until you meet him face to face, if you want to walk faithfully, understand that the greatest threat against your endurance in Christ is your comfort in the things that he provides for you. So many times when we get comfortable, that's when we pull out the race. That's when we sit back. That's when we assume that everything is going to work out and there's no reason to engage in the other 16 miles. And this is exactly where the enemy wants you. This is exactly where Satan wants you. You know why? Because you are no threat. Those of you who are comfortable enough to get out of the race in the kingdom of God, you are no threat to the enemy. You're exactly where the enemy wants you. But this isn't the endurance that the Lord is calling us to, nor is it the endurance that Peter is talking about. Instead, what Peter does is, in light of the things to come, he tells us exactly how to accomplish this deeper endurance in this life while waiting for the next. And so if you have your copy of God's word, I want to invite you to stand with me if you're willing and able. And we're going to read verses 14 through 18 together. All right, just to make sure you're awake, if you got it, say got it. Very good. Okay, verse 14 says, Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. Also, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. He speaks about these things in all his letters. There are some things hard to understand in them. The untaught and unstable will twist them to their own destruction as they also do with the rest of the scriptures. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on guard so that you're not led away by the error of lawless people 
and fall from your own stable position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Let's pray. God, will you help us right now? Father, understand exactly what you are trying to teach your people. God, how can we walk with you with this great and deep endurance? Father, that is our desire, so we are asking you by your spirit, God, would you teach us today? And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. We may be seated once again. You know, endurance is not just this isolated thing that only applies to one portion of your life. Endurance is required for your relationship with Jesus, your walk with Jesus. But endurance is also required for your marriage. Endurance is required for college. It's required for school. It's required for your job. It's required for your family, your children, your grandchildren. Listen, uh, there is an endurance that every single one of us, we are called to. And not just in our re- for the sake of our relationship, but in how it overflows from our relationship with Jesus toward everything else in your life. So here's the point of that, is to understand that there's not one person who can excuse yourself from thinking that I need an endurance with my walk in Jesus Christ. Every person needs a deeper endurance. So where does Peter begin? Well, he first explains to us that we need to endure with diligence. So if you look at verses 14 through 16, that this umbrella statement is that you are to make every effort, that you are to endure with effort, that you are to put in the work. And we have to understand that it is not our work that will gain endurance. It is the endurance given to us from Christ himself, that from above, that all strength is given. However, there is this mysterious partnership with the God of the universe and with you and your effort and how these things come together for the purpose of God's kingdom and advancing his kingdom. And he says, you are to be diligent. You are to make every effort. Put in the work in your relationship with Jesus. This is Old Testament and New Testament language, by the way. That's not just part of the old covenant that we should make effort. It's not just part of the new covenant. This is how you are designed to work in relationship with God himself is putting in effort. Deuteronomy 4.9 says this. He says, only be on guard and diligently watch yourselves so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen and so that they don't slip from your mind as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. You see, there's this command, and attached to that command is the the idea of being diligent or steadfast or earnest in our um, efforts toward God himself in that command. And so Peter gives us three specific things on how we are to be diligent. The first is that we are to be uh, diligent with patience. All right, so if you love being patient, like you just crave being patient, like you wake up in the morning, you're like, God, how could I be more patient today? If that's you, please raise your hand. 
All right, if you raise your hand, get out. No, I'm kidding, okay? (laughs) It's hard to understand that, you know what? Patience is a virtue. It's hard to understand that patience is something that we should desire or we should crave. Patience is difficult. Patience requires effort. The problem with patience is that it is a submission and it is a recognition that we are not in control. When you are driving down Broadway and the Lord is testing your patience, your kids are watching, your wife is judging your behavior, This is a recent event in the Gossett household. Okay, anyways. But when this is happening and your patience is tested, why? It's because you're not in control of the vehicle in front of you and you can't just zip in and out of traffic to get around them. So I'm told, okay. Uh, But it's because you're not in control of the situation. You know, this is Israel's problem all through the Old Testament is just an understanding of patience. Patience is the pursuit of God's timing. A lot of times when we think about patience, we think that it gives us this license to be lethargic or lazy. But what we see from Peter is that it's the exact opposite. What you see from Paul is the exact opposite. What you see in understanding the pursuit of God's timing in the Old Testament is the exact opposite. It is not being passive, but rather it is actively pursuing the timing of God. And that is it. You see, when they were following, you know, the pillar of the cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, Israel's told, listen, if the pillar is not moving, then you don't move. Stay put. But if the pillar is moving, then you follow in step with that pillar. Here's the interesting thing with us a lot of times, is that in our ambition, maybe, maybe in our efforts, but nonetheless, maybe being overzealous, We get out in front of the pillar, and then we are just asking the Lord to catch up and bless what we are already doing. It's an unwillingness to follow the lead of the Spirit of God. But it could be on the other end of the spectrum that the pillar is going out in front of us. The Spirit of God is leading us out, and we're just kind of lagging behind to see what's going to happen because we lack the trust in the Spirit of God. Both are not good. Both are Problems of impatience, problems of a lack of trust, problems with our ability to relinquish control. But instead, we are to actively submit ourselves to the timing of God himself, saying, Lord, whenever you move, I want to move. If you stay, I want to stay because I don't want to get ahead of you. I don't want to get behind you. I want to be in step with you in everything that we do. As a family, as a man of God, as a church, everything is about the timing of God. Why? Because his timing is always better than ours. He always sees the speed bumps. He always is aware. Why? Because Peter has already told us that the way we understand timing is not the way that God operates in timing. God operates outside of time. 
He's not bound by it, either past, present, or future, but rather he is outside of it. And so we can trust in his complete omniscience of him knowing everything, past, present, and future, that we can trust his timing, be patient. But we also be diligent with peace. You see, he says this. He says, be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. You see, when we are impatient, things get chaotic and there's no peace in your heart and no peace in your life. But Peter says without spot or without blemish, meaning that you have submitted yourself to Christ in such a way. And now get this one phrase. It says without spot or without blemish in his sight. If you want to have true peace in your life, know this fact that where you stand only matters where you stand with God. It's in his sight, the way he judges you, the way you stand with him. It is not about what your neighbors think. It's not about what your spouse thinks. It's not about what your parents or your grandparents or your kids. It's not about any of that, about what they think. You're going to stand before one person. His name is Jesus. It is only in his sight that your life matters. He says, stand at peace without spot or blemish in the sight of God. And you'll have peace in your heart. Be patient. Be at peace and be diligent with wisdom. You see, wisdom gives us this understanding that we don't just understand God's word. We don't just know theological terms, but rather we do what God is telling us to do. That's the most simple form of wisdom is if God says do it, then do it. That is wise. If God says do it and you don't do it, that is unwise. I mean, we've been teetering with this all throughout this letter of 2 Peter. All the time, he's saying, listen, make sure you are abiding to the laws of God. Watch out for false prophets. Don't let them uh, lead you astray. Watch out for lawless men. Don't let them lead you astray. But he says, be diligent with wisdom to do exactly what God tells you to do when he tells you to do it with a great peace in your heart. This is wisdom. But then he says this. He moves to the second part. In summation, he says that we are to endure with holiness. So you endure with diligence. This is the things we're diligent in. But now we are to endure with holiness. This is what he says in verse 17. He says, therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on guard so that you're not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position. The first thing that we see about our endurance with holiness is that we have to stand in holiness. Be firm where your feet are planted. Be sure, put your feet on the rock, not on the sinking sand. He says, be sure of this. It's going to require diligence. It's going to require a unique endurance, but it is this endurance and holiness. Somebody gave me a video. Actually, Hickson shared this with me yesterday. Some of you know that Tim Keller passed away. A great theologian of our day. But, But a guy sent this video out on social media. He said that the best advice that he ever received from Tim Tim Keller is this. Be godly. 
You would think it would be more profound. And he goes on to make it more profound. But the simple request is this. Be godly. In everything that you do, pursue holiness. Pursue godliness. Let the love of Christ just come out from you, just ooze from you in everything that you do. He says, pursue and endure with holiness. You must stand in the holiness. He says, be on guard. You know, Jesus gives a similar command in Luke chapter 21, verse 36. He says, but be alert at all times. You know what it means in the Greek when you when Jesus is saying, be alert at all times, it means be alert at all times, okay? He says that there should never be a moment in your life that you are not on guard. There should never be a moment in your life that you are not on alert. It's like a bird dog just sniffing out quail, just always on alert. I don't know where that came from, okay? That's some deep, deep Georgia roots right there. All right, but it's true, though. Be on point. Be on alert. Be on guard. There's not a moment in your life that you can let your guard down and say, you know what, I'm sure it'll be okay to just dabble in this. I'm sure it'll be okay if I just listen to this teacher. I know he doesn't teach, um, you know, the truth all the time, but most of the time it's pretty good. No, stop allowing the enemy to have any seat at your dining table. Listen, don't allow the enemy to have any room in your heart and in your life because if you creak that door open just a little bit. Listen, the enemy wants to slam the door open. And what did we learn earlier? That the sin is crouching at the door. It is seeking anyone whom he can devour. The enemy is looking for you to open the door, give a seat, and to devour your life. Don't dabble in it. Don't even pretend that you're okay with it. Stand firm in the word of God and be on alert. And he says this. He says, grow in holiness. As you stand, grow. There's no such thing as a stagnant follower of Jesus. You are either growing or you are falling away. Grow. But look at what he says. He says, grow in grace and knowledge. It seems pretty simple, but if you were to only grow in knowledge, it will lead you to piety. If you only grow in grace, it will lead you into a theological conundrum. You need both in your life. You need to grow in grace, and you need to grow in knowledge. Because listen, the pious, they can grow in the knowledge of God and know exactly how to apply it to your life, but it doesn't penetrate their own heart. But when you grow in grace... You're growing in an understanding of not the world's sin, but your own sin. When you grow in grace and knowledge, you're, you grow in an understanding of your fallenness before God, not just the fallenness of the world around us. It leads us to repentance. And listen, church, if you want to see revival in this generation, then we should grow in grace and knowledge that these two things should run parallel together because, listen, it is not the repentance of the world that is going to change the world. It's your repentance. It is my repentance. It is God wrecking your life. It is God wrecking 
wrecking my life and bringing me to a point that, yes, the world needs Jesus, but I need Jesus more. This is why Paul said, I'm the chief among sinners. He recognizes his fallenness. It wasn't the Pharisees. He wasn't pointing fingers at the Sadducees. He was pointing fingers at his own heart. Why? Because he is wrecked by the Spirit of God. When is the last time you have personally been wrecked by the Spirit of God? Where you had to fall on your face and say, Jesus, I need you to forgive me. When is the last time that has happened? We can grow in knowledge all we want. But if we don't grow in grace with it, it leads to destruction. It doesn't lead to stability. And we will be knocked off the guard that we are supposed to be standing on. Grow in holiness. And then he says this. To close all of this out, we are called to magnify with holiness. Now, there are two types of magnification. You have a microscope all right, go back to eighth grade science with me, okay? Do you remember putting one of those little clear plastic things in the micros- under the microscope? And then your teacher starts talking about it, and you're like, yeah, 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 I see exactly what you're talking about. And you have no idea what he's talking about. Like he's explaining things, and you're like, all I see are dead worms, okay? I have no idea what this guy is talking about. So I'm looking at this microscope. The microscope's job is to make that which is small big, But then you have a telescope. I remember I was in fourth grade when I got my first telescope, and I could not wait to look at the moon. I mean, I was just so pumped. So me and my dad, we set it up, and I go out there, and I start looking at the moon. And it's pretty unfulfilling, okay? Let's just be honest. But the job of the telescope is to make that which is already big just as big, if not clearer. You see, the magnification that we are called to is that of a telescope. We're not trying to make a small God big. We're trying to make an incredibly large God, an incredibly uh, large salvation and Savior. We are to make that big God even uh, as much bigger or to magnify him even greater so that the world around us will understand who he is. That is the job of your life. And this is where Peter brings everything to a close. He says, do not get distracted by anything else. This is your one job. This is the reason why you're saved is to magnify the name of Jesus. The only name that lasts for all eternity. He said everything else is a distraction. And these are Peter's last words that we know are written from him. He says, glorify Jesus. Glorify God in everything you do. Why does Peter end here? Because he knows, he knows that we are going to make much of everything else other than Jesus himself. I mean, you think about this in your life. You think about this in your walk. If you want to have a true endurance, if you want to endure in your relationship with Jesus, then make everything about Jesus. Recognize that the only reason you're in middle school right now 
is to magnify Jesus. The only reason you're in high school right now, going to college, starting a a new career, the only reason you are married, the only reason you have children, the only reason you have a job, the only reason you have a business, the only reason you have a church is to magnify the name of Jesus and his salvation. Everything else is a distraction. We get distracted by worship. We get distracted about who's next. We get distracted about all the things in church. And listen, the enemy knows because if he can just distract us, then he can diminish and magnifying Jesus Christ himself, and then you and I will be off course. Peter ends and says, in everything, in everything, magnify Jesus. Can you say that that is true of your life? Can you say that you can endure because you do everything to glorify and to magnify the name of Jesus? I just want to ask that you would close your eyes and just bow your head just for a moment to contemplate, God, where am I missing in magnifying your name? Because the first step of giving glory and bringing glory to the name of Jesus is for you personally to give your life and submit to him. Apart from that, there's no amount of patience. There is no knowledge. There's no wisdom. There's no holiness because holiness is given to you by Jesus at the point that you surrender to him. And he takes your feet and he puts it on solid ground. Maybe that's you this morning that you know that that is the step you need to take. Maybe you just need to magnify the Lord by walking in obedience. Maybe obedience in baptism. Maybe obedience in joining this church family. But whatever that is, God is stirring and calling you. And now it's your turn to take the next step. Heavenly Father, this is your time. And Father, we are asking, Lord, that you would stir us toward your holiness. God, we want to live a life of endurance, faithfully pursuing you in all things. Let it begin today. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you for joining us today with our church family here at Green Acres Baptist Church. And this invitation is for you. Maybe God is stirring in your heart right now from what you have heard. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe God is calling you right now for salvation. You know, the Bible is very clear that if we uh, confess with our mouth and if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says that you will be saved. And so right now you could pray a very simple prayer and just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you to come into my life and save me. If that's you today, we wanna help you and walk with you with this decision. Maybe for others of you, uh, maybe you've been saved, but maybe you've been waiting to get baptized. Uh, Maybe you need to figure out what it means to be a member of our church here at Green Acres. Whatever that decision is, we wanna come alongside you. And so do us a favor. You can fill out the connect card at gabc.org and one of our team members will be with you very shortly. 
Whatever it is that God has laid on your heart, we want to walk with you in your growth in Jesus Christ. I look forward to hearing from you soon.